these women that were embodying internal strength. It has nothing to do with the outside. It's everything in your mind. It's everything in your beliefs. And these values are the core and the backbone of the Jewish people. Because when our women are strong and when our women are holding down the fort and when our women are being spiritual leaders, that sets the tone for our entire society. Hello there, I'm Tanya Khazanov, and you are listening to Human and Holy. Throughout Jewish history, women's voices and songs and hope and trust and faith in God and resilience have been the backbone of the Jewish people, leading us straight towards redemption. And right now, more than ever, you can see that so clearly around the world and specifically in our homeland of Israel, where Jewish women who have lost, who love people who are fighting, who are leading in so many different ways are displaying the most gorgeous courage, trust in God, faith. And today we speak to Shifra Soloveitchik about the women who she has spoken to in her interviews. And today's episode is about highlighting that strength, that backbone of the Jewish people, the feminine faith and hope and resilience that's leading us out of this darkness and into redemption. I want to start in a way that I generally don't, but I think is going to be fun with you. That's just like my energy that I'm getting from you. And I'm like, let's do it. So I want to start with rapid fire questions before we introduce you, before we start talking, I'm just going to ask you a couple like really quick questions and whatever comes up, share it with us. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. What is a Jewish book that you would recommend and why? So the first thing that came to mind was The Blessing of a Broken Heart by Sherry Mandel. I think her perspective on everything and how she dealt with her grief is very spiritual and how she sees the signs in her life is like it helped me kind of be able to recognize Hashem's hand in things from that perspective. I think reading her book actually helped form my relationship with God, even though it's not like, I don't think it's meant to be a Torah book. It's more of like a memoir. But yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. I I have other answers, but... (laughs) That's the first, definitely. That's an amazing answer. We actually hosted Sherry Mandel on the podcast. So it's pretty cool to hear that her book had such a strong impact on you. I love it. Yeah, she's okay. incredible. I love her. She really, really is. Okay, tell us a Jewish role model of yours. Jewish role model. Ah! <laughs> I haven't done this ever. A Jewish role model. I know, rapid fire is hard. My mother-in-law. <laughs> Yeah, my mother-in-law, Why? all of my, all of my in-laws, all of my mother, my mother-in-law, and all of her sisters are all my Jewish models, and all in different ways. They're just so giving, and they just embody Chesed and just all of the good values, and and just being good people, and like not asking for recognition for it. That's where I get my inspiration from, for sure. I mean, Jewish role models in general, like also Rifka Menu, boss lady, yeah, Sarah, boss lady, lots of boss Love. women. Yeah. But also Sherry low-key, honestly. <laughs> like all We love of the, Sherry around here. 
I love Sherry. We love Sherry. <laughs> She's amazing. And I think that it's interesting that you naturally went to her for the response to like a favor or a Jewish book that you'd recommend because everything that she wrote about is so timely right now, as it feels like the entire Jewish people are grieving and literally in response to terrorism, which is how her son was tragically killed. So it's like, it feels very apropos right now. So even though you didn't know that that question was coming and you totally answered off the top of your head, it's like the perfect opener to our conversation, literally. So tell us your name, tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to get into it. Okay. Hi. My name is Shefra Salvechik. I work in film and media. I've been working in the industry for the past few years. I also dabble in social media and content creation, but my main love is just film production and making things happen and kind of being behind the scenes of telling people's stories. I come from a background where I was doing a lot of music and I would make YouTube videos like for fun, like not anything super serious, but I'd always kind of get to a point where I felt like I never felt this any fulfillment in it. I'd always like it would always come to a point where I would feel bad about myself or compare myself to others or not really like take that extra step. But when I'm telling other people's stories, it's like I'm unlimited and like I it just gives me the best feeling in the world. So that's kind of like my background. I also kind of work in marketing. I'm also a student. I do a lot of things, but media and film production is my it's my favorite. It's your fave. You're an <laughs> artist. You're also, um, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned background in music, but you didn't say that you're also a singer-songwriter. Yeah. I'm a singer-songwriter. I haven't done it in a while though, but yeah. Okay. It's definitely. That's how that's I was I introduced to you. That's how I was introduced to you. A yeah. song that you put out that I listened to on repeat for weeks. Like your voice is unlike anything else. Highly recommend looking her up. Okay. So you're an artist, you're a filmmaker, and now you are living in Israel. Tell us how you ended up living in Israel. You're American born. Tell us your journey to making Aliyah. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a very long answer, but basically I made Aliyah with my family when I was 14. We came to Israel when I was going into ninth grade and we lived we lived here. I made Aliyah with my family. I grew up. I kind of say that I grew up here, but I also kind of didn't. I came at a very formative time, so I feel like I've been here longer than I have. But I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia my whole life. I'm still a Southern Belle at heart. I was technically born in New York, so my cousins still argue with me that I'm a New Yorker, but I, I do not consider <laughs> myself. No hate. My mother is a new Brooklyn, born and bred. No hate. But like my f earliest memories are in Atlanta and we moved to Beit Shemesh and I'm still here. My family actually doesn't live here. Any, my, some of my immediate family actually doesn't live in – they don't live in Israel anymore. Some of them moved back to the States this past summer. But – Oh, wow. Yeah. We still – this is my home. You're still here. Are you married to an Israeli? So my husband made Aliyah with his family when he was two. And okay. he grew up here. So – he grew up in Beit Shemesh, though, so some people would say that he's not Israeli, <laughs> but he's very Israeli. He's, Beit Shemesh he, is a city he, outside of Israel. <laughs> he grew up, yeah, like specifically on the street that he grew up. They all spoke Hebrew. So they all spoke English to each other. He grew up speaking English. He's Israeli, like more Israeli than me, that's for sure. Like he went to the army, more fluent than me. Like, you know what I'm saying? He grew up here. He grew up here, yeah. yeah I'm like, living it too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, American influence, but you're Israeli. Okay, yeah. so tell us, so you've been living in Israel for a while now, or for you, it feels like it's been a long time, Southern Bell at heart, but Israeli now. And tell us a little bit about what is 
Today, we're going to talk about a project that you created in response to the war and everything that's going on. But first, I want to know from you personally how you have been doing, how are you, and what tools, Jewish values are maintaining you and keeping you strong during this. Descriptions fail me. So during this time. Yeah. So that's a really good question. I think at the beginning of the war, I would have had a very different answer to how I feel now. At the beginning of the war, I was a complete wreck. I could barely do anything. I was just a ball of nerves. I would go to sleep every night at four in the morning after scrolling on Instagram and TikTok and watching so many videos of people saying how Jews play the victim and we're all the victims and you're just playing the victim and you're playing the victim. And I'm like, <laughs> nobody gets me. Like, hello. Like, this right. is just really depressing. Right. And then I would wake up and then I would have a coffee and then I would just wallow and I would just wallow and I would just wallow. And I'm not someone who like wallows. Listen, we're all Jewish. We all have our fair share of anxiety and feelings of whatever. But I was really at a place. Also, like, my husband was called to me, Louim, on October 7th. And that was just very traumatizing to wake up to sirens. And then he got a message on his phone. He was like, Schiffer, like, they're calling me. And I'm like, what does that even mean? No. I never thought in my life that that would happen or that was even an option. I just never thought about it. My husband is years after his army service. Like, it's something in the past. It's something that, like, 19-year-old and 20-year-olds are doing. I never was in a relationship with him when he was in the army or I never had that aspect in a relationship. So it just kind of, like plop down right there and then. And I just, at the time, it was like, we got married about a year and a half ago, but our Shanari Shona, we were very much together all the time. It was like kind of going from being two separate entities to then becoming one. And then I felt like we got to a place where we were like one. And then all of a sudden he left and it was just very, wait, where did you go? Like what's going on? And also that's just over time at the beginning on the actual day of October 7th, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea where he was going. We were hearing things on the street of terrorist infiltrations and we were hearing sirens and we knew something was up, but we didn't know what because we weren't going on our phones. We weren't watching the news. So I had no idea where he went. And I literally just, that's probably when I started to wallow. I just, I, I went to sleep. Everyone's like, what did you do October 7th? Like I literally went to sleep. I could not process. So I just went to sleep <laughs> for like six hours and I woke up and I was like, okay. Then that was just the start of everything. I'm kind of like, I'm going off a little bit on a rant. Not at all. This is your story and your experience of what that was like. I can't even imagine. I get what you're saying, which is like you never were in a relationship with your husband when he was in the army. And now suddenly they're like, we're calling him back. And you're like, where is he going? Yeah, it was very scary. And I remember that Motzei Shabbat, this kind of like, this story kind of goes into how I started the initiative because there was something that happened that was very transformative through this experience. But in general, in the first, like just to answer the first part of your question, which was what Jewish values brought me through everything. At the time, my, my immediate parents don't live in Israel. So when my husband went to Miluim, I didn't, I stayed by my in-laws primarily. And I remember just having so much fear because also we didn't really know what was going on. We thought Lebanon was going to join right then and there. We got a message. There was actually, I don't know if you know about this, but a few days after October 7th, everyone got on their phones from the home front command, like from the app that there were sirens like everywhere or something. And it was a false alarm. And they also sent a message like, stock your mamads, stock your safe rooms for like 72 hours. And we were like, oh my gosh. Like there were, I literally had a panic attack. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to war with Hezbollah. And, ah! and I just started freaking out. And what I did, my mother-in-law, God bless her, 
she instilled in me the message of Enod Malvado. Like she just didn't, she was just like, of course she was anxious, scared. Of course it's scary, but she was like, there's nothing to worry about. Enod Malvado. And I'm like, but how do you know? And she's like, Enod Malvado. Like that's, she would just say that. She would just say it. And I was like, I took that and I was like, you know something? This isn't in my control. Nothing is in my control. Something that I'm learning from this is that nothing's in my control. The only person, the only thing that's in control is Hashem and God. And all I can do is live like I have to trust that everything is happening for something. And that doesn't mean that everything's happening for a reason. That means everything's great and everything's happy and everything's going to end okay. But it's a belief that I believe in God and I believe in his abilities and I believe in the, his willpower of the world that this is happening because it has to happen. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily in my favor or in anyone's favor, but he's in charge. It's not me to worry about. And listen, like I still would feel anxious. I'd still feel nervous. There were a lot of other things like the chesed, you know, doing things and to connect with other people in my community. I had another thing that got me through was literally forming female relationships that I kind of neglected in my Shana Rishona. And I really was like strengthening that female bond with like my cousins and from friends. And we would literally sit together on a couch and we would knit for like six hours at a time. And that's all we would do. We would knit and we would talk about how we were feeling. And we, the only thing was that we weren't allowed to talk about the war. And we'd also, I'd also paint with friends for like six hours. And like, it was the weirdest thing because there was no schedule. And I would find myself knitting for seven hours in a day. And I'm like, what is going on? But that's how I coped. It was a combination of like coping mechanisms of these are things that you can do to focus. But it was also a combination of being around people. At the beginning, I needed to be around people. I needed to be around family. I needed to be around friends and just kind of surrendering. There's no other choice but to surrender. Yeah. The way that you said that your mother-in-law just repeatedly saying, Enod Movado, there's nothing but God. Hashem is in control. Like how that was a, a transformative line for you. Even just, I think even just like probably being around someone who was embodying that, like really deeply feeling that reality and feeling that like certainty within them, it sort of like rubs off on you, which brings me to that sisterhood that you're talking about, which I think that's a very healthy coping mechanism, sitting with other people, talking about how you're feeling, knitting, et cetera. But we lean on each other's certainty. And when we're together, we feel the strength of our unity. We feel the strength of Hashem taking care of us. So both of those points they're bringing out are so powerful. And to anyone who's in Israel or not in Israel and experiencing so much anxiety, like those two things, leaning on sisterhood and on just in on Movado full stop, that is very, very helpful. Yeah. We didn't really have any other choice, you know? It was yeah, exactly. Very, very scary. It still is. It's just now I would say like I'm so distracted with or I'm so focused on telling other people's stories and working and I don't have time to think about it because if I stop and I think, I'm not going to be able to deal with it. Well, now you're empowered. Tell us about that process. Tell us about how your project came to be, what the inspiration was for it. I think that the way that you have moved from that wallowing that you describe, which I think a lot of us experience, like becoming obsessed with the hate and obsessed with the people who hate us or with the tragedy or every person I think fixated on something else and moving into an empowered state, which is like, okay, the hatred is not going anywhere. We're still very much in a war. How do we transform these heavy emotions into empowered action? Tell us how you did it. So the way that this project started was on Motzei Shabbat on October 7th, I decided to make a get ready with me to leave my apartment without knowing when I'd come back. And I decided to create it in a format of get ready with me because I thought that it was actually very cynical 
to be a lot of influencers being like, get ready with me while I go to like a New Year's Eve party. And I was like, get ready with me to go. We're at war. And I posted that to my Instagram and a follower responded. She messaged me on my story. She never messaged me before. And she said, I'm so – she said, it's so scary. I'm just hoping – like, I'm so scared for our husbands. I just hope that, you know, everything – they're safe and that they come home soon and, like, we just have to pray. Something along those lines. And I, I had a lot of – like, a lot of people messaged me and I just, like, sent her a heart. And then two days later, I saw on Facebook that her husband died that day before she messaged me, before she even knew. She – yeah. And – that haunted me in so many ways. And I've told her. I've spoken to her about it, actually. But something about that interaction, I was so shaken from that. And then because it was so close. And I messaged her two days later. And I said, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. I didn't even know her, really. I, we had mutual friends, but I didn't really know her. And I said, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Like, I'm Yisrael is here with you. I'm just thinking of you. Like, I didn't have anything to say. That's all I could say. And she messaged me back a day later. And I was in shock because I'm like, why is she messaging? Like, she just lost her husband. What is going on? And she messaged me back. She said, just tell the world how amazing he was. Because her husband was a very, very special person. And this is also a girl who's I have a lot of mutual friends with. She's my, she's my age. She also made Aliyah. She's actually going to be featured in the Woman of Valor project. She's, we filmed her, actually. Like, we filmed a documentary with her, which I'm – it just encompasses what this whole project is about. But those words, which she said, tell the world, just tell the world how amazing he was. I could not, after having that interaction, that's also part of like the wallowing of just, I could not sleep. I could not, I was just constantly thinking about them. And I felt very strange because I was like, why am I thinking about them? There are so many, unfortunately, horrifically, there are so many stories and there are so many couples that have been torn apart and there's so many families that have been broken and there's so many people that have been taken from this earth in horrific ways. This is also a horrific story, but why am I so connected to this? Why can I, when I go to sleep, I just see, I just see her, I just see them. Why is this haunting me? And it brought me to the understanding or brought me to the answer within myself. I'm like, I need to... I need to tell their story. What can I do? Because a lot of times when someone loses someone, you can, you're like, oh, well, how can I be there for you? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. But like you're not in their per the person's shoes. You don't know what actually is helpful or what they actually need. And I, and I didn't know what I can offer. I don't know her. She's not my – like she wasn't a close friend of mine. Like how can I be there for her? I don't know. The thing that I can do is media. The thing that I can do is film. Like that's my skill set. That's what I can do. And she said to me, she told me, tell the world how amazing he was. Okay. So she asked that like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell the world how amazing he was and, and how special he was and how God-fearing and, and how he, he was a really – he was a tzaddik. Like, okay, you're right. I have to tell the world. And I felt like this responsibility because I also was noticing in the media there wasn't a lot of representation of women – and the women's stories, I think specifically in Israel, it's a very militaristic society and it's a very, I think, tends to be, they put a very big emphasis on the military and men and the man's role as understandably because we are, there's a, it is a militaristic society. We need a military, like that's how it is. But I remember watching this woman, like this girl who messaged me, I watched her at the Shiva, like I watched on Zoom at the Shiva and she said like she didn't regret anything. 
she wouldn't change anything. The love that she had with her husband and the story that she had, and she made Aliyah and she made her life and she came here and she wouldn't change anything. I was in shock watching that. And that made me be like, what is this person? Who is this person? What emunah can you have to go through such a thing and say that you wouldn't change anything? Where does that even come from? And how are we not talking about this? How is she? How are we not looking towards her? And why is she not a community leader? It's more inspiring than a lot of classes that I've been to, you know, about Amuna. Like that to me is, is the embodiment of Jewish values of Amuna, that she came here. She came to Israel. She made her life here. Horrific thing happens. Horrific things happen. But she's committed to being here and she wouldn't change anything. That to me was like, it was a switch in my mind of like, wow, this is true strength. This is true resilience. And to just kind of go back about how did I get from a wallowing place to an empowering place, I was constantly seeing these stories coming up and I was constantly in awe because I was someone who compared to some of these stories, there are some horrific things that have happened. Like, I don't even want to say horrific things. And I've just been constantly seeing women in the media. They're shown actually a lot in, in Israeli media. I'm just saying in general, like a representation of women's stories. I felt like it kind of was kind of falling through the cracks, but they were embodying such emunah and resilience and strength. And it wasn't external strength. It wasn't strength that they were going out and defending their people from terrorists, which is also strength, no doubt. It was a strength that they were also wives of Miluim Nikim, wives of reserve duty soldiers. These women that were embodying internal strength is nothing to do with the outside. It's everything in your mind. It's everything in your beliefs. And these values are the core and the backbone of the Jewish people. Because when our women are strong and when our women are holding down the fort and when our women are being spiritual leaders, that sets the tone for our entire society and that sets the tone of our soldiers of our people, of our communities. And that is, those are the voices that I wanted to amplify. And that's kind of how I, I got to the project. It kind of took a lot of, it had a lot of twists and turns. I started speaking with her. It kind of developed into more stories. I was writing down more stories of like, wow, there's this soldier who saved her kibbutz. Like what? That's crazy. Or this mother of 10 who ran to Nova to save dozens of teens or, or young adults. Like, where do these people come from? And where can I learn from them? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> like, I need this. And if, and if they're doing that, I can do it too. It's the sisterhood. We're in this together. And you know something like this? It helped me. It helped me when, by interacting. And, and once, and I'll say, like, after I reached out to her and I, and I made a time to sit with her over coffee and explain to her about what I wanted to do, those haunting visions, not even visions, but those thoughts of just like, wallowing of helplessness, they disappeared. And I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. And this is what I'm doing. Chills. Chills. I have no words. I love how you noted, pinpointed, and saw the strong woman's voice and how we could learn from each of these women. Like, what is it that's maintaining their strength? What is it that's allowing them to have such a deep faith in Hashem when they're faced with the absolute unthinkable? And that you're then turning that, before we even talk about how you're turning that into the most incredible project, I just want to highlight this concept that you hit on, which is that these Jewish female leaders that are literally holding up the Jewish people right now, and yes, they're not wearing their uniform, and yes, it's not as photogenic, I guess, but it's literally like 
you use the word backbone and it's the word that like, it's the only word that describes it. It's like the backbone of the body of the Jewish people. That's just holding us together. And it's a mind thing. It's women being able to stay rooted in their minds, in their belief in Hashem in a really, really deep way. And that is literally what's keeping us afloat. So even just being able to learn from other women in that way, I think like that gives me a lot of comfort to be like, you're so right. We have so many incredible role models right now who are being so strong and holding on to the faith in the most raw way. Tell us now about your project. What is it exactly that you're doing so that we can learn from these women so that we can speak to them, hear their stories, their voices, and their strength? So I started this project called Women of Valor slash Women of the War. And the point of the project is to showcase the unique strength of Jewish women, specifically during the war but also in general, like right now we're focusing on stories that have to do with before or after October 7th. And the project, we started, we filmed four documentaries of four different women. I can't wait for you guys to see it because it's like the film days were literally insane, but we filmed four different women. And the idea was to not just make documentaries or films that someone could see and then scroll. The idea was to create a movement and to create an identity because another thing that was very important to me I actually wanted to create this initiative to connect the Jews in America to what's going on in Israel because I was also getting a lot of my followers are not necessarily from Israel and a lot of them were feeling very scared and very uncertain and very threatened by their Jewish identity in America. And it made me kind of sad because on one hand, we experienced the lowest of the lows of Am Yisrael here. We experienced it very much firsthand in Israel. On the other hand, we also experienced the achdut and the connection and the community. And I had women that were going through the same things as me. And we were knitting together and we were talking together. And we had that community. And I wasn't scared about being Jewish. I mean, I was scared about being Jewish because, you know, Hamas and Hezbollah, are, that's scary. But I have an army. I am protected by the army. I have a community. I have a context. I have an identity. I'm here. I'm in Israel. And I think American Jews or Jews in the diaspora don't have that connection. And I think it's a different kind of challenge. It's a different kind of war. But in general, this war is not just a physical war. It's a spiritual war against our people. And for Jews to not feel proud of their identity or their Jewish identity, regardless of their religious affiliation, is the beginning of, is them winning, is our enemies winning. And it was very important for me to try to create, or not to try, but to create an initiative where people or where women, because I'm a woman, that's what I can connect to, that's what I can showcase, some sort of initiative that can make them feel proud about their Jewish identity and feel proud about what's going on. I think that there's a lot of, I mean, I actually don't really know so much. I haven't really spoken to so many Americans about the war, but I do feel like there's this push to kind of connect to what's going on here from a place of pain and people want to come and connect to the darkness and the sadness, kind of like when people, when you go to Poland and you go to Auschwitz and you go to the different concentration camps and you connect to the horrific things that happen and, and then you feel connected, right? I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to connect people on the continuation of the Jewish people, the continuation of the light. Because if you watch any of the stories of the documentaries that I show and the bottom line that you get is, oh, this terrible thing happened to this person, then that means I didn't do my job right. And that means that I didn't tell their story properly. because. Unfortunately, as a nation or as the Jewish people, we experience every generation persecution and our story is not our persecution. Our story is how we 
move on and how we continue life and the Jewish values that we have and we hold and we and we acknowledge in our in our homes and in our families and in our lives. And that's what I wanted to show. I want women in America to know that being a Jewish woman is the most beautiful thing. And it's such an honor and it's such a privilege and it's so amazing. And they should not be afraid to be Jewish and they should be proud to be Jewish. And that's that's kind of the empowerment that I wanted to show. It's not women empowerment of like, you do you, you do whatever you want. Like, let's go, let's, let, yeah, we could do whatever we want, whenever we want. Like, that's also a part of empowerment, but it's more of a, be proud. Don't feel bad for us. Don't feel bad for me. This is also your story. You're also, this is connected to you too. You're also dealing with things in America. Anti-Semitism isn't easy. It's not easy for anyone, uh, any of us. So let's come together because we're one nation and don't look at us like, oh, Israel's over there and America's over there. Like we are one nation. It's all our story. So come look at it. Come see. It's our responsibility to tell our stories. It's our collective responsibility to tell our stories and it's our collective responsibilities to hear them as a community. And that's, I think, the first step of kind of connection and creating positive dialogue. I also have another thing I can add about this. I'm like really going off. I'm really going long. But something about like social media and I worked in social media for the state of Israel and I did a lot of Hasbara content and I specifically did not want to do that with this project. So I could go into that, but I don't know if it's like relevant. I worked in the state of Israel. I worked on their Instagram page. I would create content for the state of Israel official page. And I also would work on content strategy. And I also had a TikTok account for a little bit where I did pro-Israel content because there's a lot of misinformation that is weaponized against Jewish people about Israel online, specifically on TikTok. And I, a lot of the time, like for many years, I was on the side of creating content that was pro-Israel, like showing like, what are you talking about? Israel isn't committing a genocide. Jewish people aren't evil. Go back to where you came from is actually a really anti-Semitic thing to say. Jews have a right to exist, whatever. Like, you know, all of the rhetoric that you kind of say, like, oh, Israel isn't an apartheid right. country. A, a lot of content that's also being posted now. And people who do that, my hat is off to them. I mentally cannot handle it. Like educational. Yeah, I cannot do that. I tried. I did it. I worked in it. I mentally could not handle it. There's only so many times someone could, like, tell you to die. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. No, there's only so many times you can hear such awful things being said to you and being scared for your mm. safety to like keep on doing it. And also because at the end of the day, everyone likes to say Israel and Judaism is separate, but it's kind of not like <laughs> it's very much intertwined. And my shlichu is not to convince anti-Semites to recognize my right to exist. They're never going to listen. Like it doesn't matter. That's how I feel. I kind of feel like it's a hopeless battle. I know other okay. people don't. I think that there's a people, a lot of people who work in it and they do amazing work. I just always, I think I kind of have a more negative mindset about it because I worked in it and it was just very difficult. It's a very hopeless feeling. It's like, am I convincing anybody? Is anyone listening to me? Because at the end of the day, no one cares. Like, I feel like the haters going to hate, you know? So I want to yeah. at least keep my Dalit Amos good and I want, and I want to start, you know, you know, they always say chesed starts at home, right? So yeah. I'm going to start my Hezbara at home. Let's lechazek, let's strengthen my nation. Why am I convincing someone over there in mm. Delaware to recognize my right to exist? What's the point? What's the connection? Why do I need to Oof. do that? That's my hot take. <laughs> that's that's my hot take right now about educating the internet on <laughs> Jewish people's right to exist and like not be killed on a daily basis. Yeah. 
Yeah, for, I appreciate your hot take. Thank you. I think that this is so important because you talk about shifting our attention away from what the world thinks about us and towards where our own mindset is at and where our own strength, Jewish pride, Jewish practice and values are. I think that shift is so crucial, especially right now where you really feel like the war is stretching on forever and the hatred is really, really in a way seems to not only not be going away, but intensifying. And it could be so, it's so easy to to just get totally fixated on that. And you're like, wait, let's turn our attention away from the world's hatred and towards the strength of these amazing Jewish women and this gorgeous Torah and the Torah values that they are embodying in the most beautiful way. And let's turn our focus there. You also pinpointed something that I think was very intuitive of you, which is that a lot of people are trying to connect to what's going on through the pain because they're not really sure how to, it seems like it's the only way to connect and to like be there with the Jewish people. And you're like, instead of connecting to the pain, what about connecting to the empowerment? What about connecting to the strength, to the joy, to the depth, to the wisdom? I think that that is a very practical way to shift our focus away from the negativity and towards the continuation of the Jewish people and the way that we continue those values in our life. Cause if we could, if we could just shift our focus, it, it starts with shifting our focus. Like what are we, what are we consuming? Let's consume the stories and these women's wisdom. And it will naturally inspire us to be looking towards the future, looking to strengthen Jewish practice in our own homes, instead of feeling like, where am I hiding? Huge. I totally agree with that. I think that it's so underrated. (laughs) Like, I think that there's a time and place and to acknowledge the pain. I think to just connect to to the empowerment is also not healthy. I think it's a balance as everything is in life. But I think that to balance it is is crucial, not only for to be healthy, but also just for your own mental sake. Because I think kind of turning on and off with connecting is not healthy either. It's like we're all, it's part of your story whether or not you acknowledge it, but it's very much there. It's very much present. So you can either acknowledge it with pain or with power. Yeah, that was a good line. It was a good line. <laughs> I, I'm was proud a really of that good one. Line. <laughs> you should be proud of that one. There was alliteration, like everything yeah. about it. It was, it was perfect. There's absolutely a balance. And I think that when you're interviewing someone, you hear that balance because no one who's has uh, this woman whose husband was killed protecting the Jewish people. Like there's no way there isn't going to be pain in her empowering story. There's so much pain there, but it's not only pain. I think that when we fixate only on the pain, it's also dishonest. Like, yes, there is so much pain and tragedy, but it's not honest to say it's only hatred and it's only pain. There's also something else. I don't even think it's, it's not only honest. I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to that person or to any of the women, or any of the people that have experienced trauma. And a lot of people have different gradations and different stories. But in general, all Israelis, I think there's like a, I don't know the exact statistics, I'd have to check that up. But I think there's a large amount of Israelis that suffer from PTSD in one form or another. And it's all like, even the story, like there are so many, it's never ending. It's never ending. And when you kind of look at somebody, and you acknowledge, oh, you lost somebody, through XYZ or this XYZ happened to you, you're equating their essence to something that happened to them. And that's not fair to them. And that's not fair to their story. It's not only dishonest, but it's painful. You're objectifying them. <laughs> it's a, it's objectification. I get that. There's so much more. It's not about like, 
if you just don't acknowledge it, that's also extremely rude. I get exactly what you mean, which is it's not just that it's not honest. It's not fair to the person to define them by their loss when there's so much, when they're actually bringing their essence to this loss and to this experience of this loss in a way that we need to look at because it's, it's just like that we owe it human dignity in grief is to see the wholeness of the person and not just to see them in relation to their loss. You have spoken to so many women already throughout this, the span of this project. Tell us one thing that someone said that has really stuck with you. Can I give two answers? <laughs> yeah. No, okay. absolutely not. I said one. And if you don't stick to one, I kick you off. The call. Okay. So I have, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So let's get two. I'll say this because by the time this is released, I think the documentary is going to be out. So I interviewed Eris Chaim, the mother of Yotam Chaim, who was a hostage that ran away from Hamas. And he was unfortunately killed by the hands of like by IDF fire by accident. And I spoke with her. And first of all, she's an incredible woman. And so many things from this project is so Yad Hashem. And I really see that also with Whatever. She's just incredible. But something that she said to me that still resonates with me is that the Chaim family, they're not religious. They lived in a secular kibbutz. And she said that now she sees that there's no difference between before October 7th. I don't know if you're super familiar with the politics in Israel, but there was a lot of like between religious and secular communities. And she said before October 7th, she was anyone who was religious she was kind of like scared of like, oh, they just want to make me religious. Like they just want me to like be and she said that now I see like after October 7th, like there's no difference between a Chiloni mother, a secular mother and a religious mother and an Ashkenazi mother and a Sephardi mother and a Mizrahi mother. And we're all the same. We're all, we have different opinions, but we're all one nation. Like my son, she said, my son was abducted because he was Jewish. He was killed because he was Jewish. Like this isn't about the boxes. We're all part of something much, much bigger. And I've actually heard that sentence from more than out of all of the, out of the four documentaries that we filmed, at least two people said that who lost either their spouse or, or their son. They said that this is bigger than something then. It's much bigger than something they can comprehend. And that kind of seeing, witnessing her kind of say that and think that was just, first of all, mind-blowing. Another story that was that really stuck with me or another anecdote was I very, very, very spontaneously decided to open the platform up for anyone to submit their stories. I had in my mind and my proposal, I'm like, okay, we're going to do a documentary once a week. I'm going to create some posts. I don't know. Like, we'll see how it goes. I didn't really have a plan. My amazing – that was kind of the plan. And Randomly, we decided, social media manager that I'm working with, Jazzy, shout out to Jazzy, woo, we kind of just decided really randomly to like open it up to everybody and everyone can submit it. And two different women submitted their stories through Reels and they both said to me like, wow, this was really therapeutic. Thank you. And I was like, thank you. Like you just, <laughs> you just shared your story with me. I appreciate it. And they were like, no, but seriously, thank you. Like I didn't even realize how crazy my story was until I sat down. I recorded a voiceover. I found some pictures. I went over it like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Thank you. This was really therapeutic. I really appreciate it. And I was like, you know what? If no one sees these documentaries, if nobody follows this account, the fact that even two people who (laughs) have been living without their husbands for the past four months felt a moment of feeling seen and feeling good about themselves and feeling good about their strength, amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> We're doing great. Like, I'm my job is done. My job is very much not done. But 
theoretically, it's my job is done. Yes. Yeah. I just want to say that, yes, I think that you hit something there that is like a really defining point in everything that you're sharing, which is when we're turning towards the Jewish women's strength of those who have experienced the unimaginable, you're really asking Jewish women to look at that strength inside of themselves and to find that strength within themselves and to see it mirrored in these women, but then to try to find it in their own life. And even just these women who put together their stories, they were like, wow, I have been these are my strengths. And this is the beauty of my own Jewish womanhood. And I think that when we see it mirrored in other people, it asks, it holds up a mirror to ourselves and we have the opportunity to find it within ourselves. So I love that you shared that as something that was special to you. And of course your work is not done. It's just beginning, but that is what your work is, which is highlighting the strength of Jewish womanhood in general, so that we could all find within ourselves to find the strength and the resilience and the faith in God that we all have within us so that we can find strength during this difficult time. And so that we can be proud backbones of the Jewish people. I have to ask you, is your husband home yet? And how are you doing? So, Baruch Hashem, thank God, my husband came home last week after a long time of not living together. How am I doing? Baruch, I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. I have a whole newfound gratefulness to Hashem and to everything after October 7th. I don't take anything for granted. And also just from all of these interviews that I'm having and hearing so many women and like just just knowing so many things or hearing so many stories, I it's not only that I don't take anything for, for granted, I can't take anything for granted. I'm like, every second is a gift. Every breath is a gift. Every sunrise, sunset, going to sleep without sirens, it's all a gift. Like Shabbat with my husband is such a gift. Being able to make challah. Like I don't even like making challah, but wow, what a gift. Being able to be, fulfill my role as, a wife and as a Jewish woman in our community is a gift. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that was lacking until he kind of left. And then I was like, okay, what do I do now? What's Shabbos? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's very weird. Right. Yeah. So thank God. If you could share something, I'm so happy he's home. So happy he's home. Baruch Hashem, I know that the work only begins, like it can be a hard transition after so many months away and also having such like a crazy transformative life altering experience away from each other. So the transition should be beautiful and full of gratitude and smooth. Okay. If you could share something with your fellow Jewish women and sum it up in one sentence, what would you say? Don't listen to what society tells you should be empowering and come home. Shifra, but, thank you. Oh, but, you're like one sentence? Don't, don't, second, I, I'm not, second, one sentence is my fault. Go but, talk, talk, talk. But also, Alia's complicated. I know from firsthand experience. My parents don't live in Israel anymore, so I understand. But I would say it's a good sentence. So that's my sentence. It's a good sentence. And also I want to add that come home doesn't, I think doesn't only mean make Aliyah because not everyone is necessarily able to. It means come home. Come yeah. home. Yeah, 100%. Come home. Come home to yourself because that's when you, you set the tone. You set the tone for your life and women have so much power that is so low-key underrated that like 
I feel like also, I mean, this is this is a whole other podcast episode, but to talk about, you know, how what is strength and I think Western values and Western society is very kind of oppositional to Jewish values of what is strength, but don't pay attention. Look inside and come home to inside and don't listen to the hate. Haters going to hate. Yeah. You build your home Haters from gonna within. Hate. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Loved meeting you. Loved the authentic journey to getting to where you are. Excited to watch you move mountains and excited to see your mission unfold and develop and grow. And thank you for featuring me. Yeah. This is so exciting. Thank oh you. gosh. It's my honor. Like, I love seeing Jewish women tapped into their strength, home within themselves. It's very beautiful. And so I thank you for sharing that with us. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha mechaberet nishmati tamidilecha mechaber mechaber. If you enjoyed today's episode and it sparked something for you, touched your heart, or touched a raw nerve, or just got you thinking, I want to invite you to keep this godly conversation going. Share the episode with a friend. Tag us on social media with your follow-up thoughts. Let's get the truths of Torah into the atmosphere. The world needs it right now more than ever. You can email us at info at humanandholy.com. Find us on Instagram at humanandholy. And you can sponsor an episode or give it any amount through our site, humanandholy.com slash sponsor. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single one. And while you're at it, feel free to leave us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and it brings us joy. Thanks for listening and we'll talk next week.